Pastor Steve had mentioned, we are uh, in our series called Ageless God, Modern Message, taking the, con- the idea that God is ageless before we were, God was. And, uh, but also how practical and tangible the voice of God is for us here today. We've also been coupled uh, our messages with our group experience, and many of you have already been participating in that. We've been following a reading plan, and if you look at the back of your program, you can see that reading plan for this specific week. We've been going through uh, the book of John, and it has been really exciting to hear people talk about how God is speaking directly to them. Uh, It really is just a wonderful feeling as a pastor to know that people are directly hearing from God in, in that specific way. And uh, as you can see, we're in the, uh, following in the book of John, uh, today is the, uh, we're today, uh, or at least uh, throughout this week, I'm, I'm going to be covering um, a, the scripture for Wednesday that our groups will uh, typically be covering. That's one of the interesting things about this series is that in an all-church study, the typical thing to do is sort of wrap it all around the, the sermon on Sunday or the messages on Sunday, and that the group experience kind of reinforces that. But the cool thing about this is actually the opposite is true, that the scriptures that Pastor Steve and I share on Sunday morning only reinforce the work that you are doing uh, hopefully on a daily basis, and engaging yourself in the book of John, and, and specifically through uh, the pray scripture methods, hearing from God, and, and hearing and then responding from God in what he might say to you. So that's been so the unique thing and kind of a thrill for us uh, as pastors. So today, our Wednesday reading is out of the book of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Uh, if you brought us, notice some of you brought your Bibles in. You can turn there. Uh, the Pew Bibles are right there for you to use as well. And uh, that is on page 728. If you have a hard time um, searching for the different scriptures, 728, John chapter 6. I'm going to read 1 through 15. And this might be a story that you recognize, that you've heard before. But just as a little caution, if you heard it before, Sometimes that can be a trap because then you already are reading into what you think God might be saying. Uh, Imagine yourself reading the story for the very first time and see what God might reveal to you newly uh, as you read it. Okay, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, it says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked, the, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 
Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, I don't know why Pastor C was being vague about what's happening later on this evening. This, there's really no other time throughout the year where millions of people gather together in groups surround, surrounding the television and watch commercials all night. <laughs> yeah, I know they throw a ball game and an episode of This Is Us afterwards, but uh, really it's the commercials, right? Um, I was looking at USA Today and they claim to have been tracking these Super Bowl commercials since 1989, and uh, they've already previewed these commercials, and they have some things for us tonight to, to look forward to, or some just kind of, there's no spoilers here, so just want to let you know, but just things you can be looking at. They said that there might be more commercials tonight that have a cause, to focused on a cause, and so there might be some co- companies uh, un, uh, sort of promoting their product, and then if you buy their product, they also make a donation for a cause or something like that. You might catch that. Um, you might find more celebrities in these commercials than normal, okay? So, you know, there's, there's that. A uh, little bit of a controversy. Some of these uh, companies are trying new artistic methods in the, in the way they present their commercials. So you might catch a, a little bit of that as well. Um, and last but not least, and I know all of you look forward to this, there's going to be an increased amount of political advertisements and political themes uh, in the commercials. You may like that. If you don't, that might be the time for you to go to the bathroom. You never, uh, you never know. Isn't it amazing that in the year 2000, the Super Bowl in the year 2000, a 30-second commercial clip uh, on the low end, costs thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. Today, a thirty-second clip will cost a company five point six million dollars. Now, some of them—that's chump change, right? Um, but for for someone like me, that seems like a lot, and it makes me kind of wonder. And I have this question about advertising in general because we're all exposed to it, whether we're driving to work or you know listening to the radio, watching TV. We're all exposed to these different kinds of advertisements. But it makes me wonder: Is this really working? Like, is it is it really worth it? Like, I know it gets it into the they have the psychology mapped out and how it gets into your brain and you know that kind of thing. But still, that's a lot of money to pay for an advertisement. And, and you know how these things work, right? They, they take something that really is, could be a want of yours, and they convince you that it's actually a need. Or not actually, but they convince you that it might be a, a, a need. Because it plays off of a vulnerability that all of us have. Every human being, every person has this same vulnerability that we really don't know the difference between a want and a need. 
Like there are times when we can identify that. But on the, on the whole, if we, could, if, we, if we had the task of creating a clear dividing line as to what is a true want and a true need, we don't really have the capacity to do that. These companies know that. And they make it their task over the Super Bowl to turn what might be a want and change it into a need. And this is how companies do this. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who started Financial Peace University, uh, which is a program that we have, it's a wonderful program, he clarifies to people that he's kind of reaching his audience, he says this, very direct, he's a very direct person, most of the things we buy are wants, and we can call them needs, but they're wants, very Dave Dave Ramsey approach to, to that. And so this is an obvious, but also at the same time, a hidden truth. That we do have needs. We are dependent creatures, right? We need certain things in order to survive. But rarely does anyone truly know the difference and where that line is between a want and a need. And so when we go out to gratify what we think are needs, oftentimes we, what we're trying to chase after and gratify that what we think are needs are actually wants. And in the pursuit of gratifying our wants, many times we distract ourselves from those actual core needs that we have. And so this is the question as we approach this scripture in John chapter 6. This is the question that I want you kind of hanging in the air and something that you can wrestle with. And it's kind of like the question that Pastor Steve left us with last week. He asked us, are you thirsty? I want to ask you the question, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? So Jesus continues in his ministry we, last week we were in John chapter 3. Jesus encounters a woman at the well and around, the, the, around Samaria. And Jesus is hanging around in some of those same sort of regional areas, particularly around the Sea of Galilee. And he is healing the sick. He's teaching and people are amazed. And he's gathering quite a following. He is a very popular figure at this point. You can imagine yourself as a disciple. If you ever wondered, maybe if you made the wrong decision in dropping everything and following Jesus, uh, you know, they're now at this point where like, why did I make a good decision? This is actually panning out. I, I thought it was a big risk, but look at well, all the things that are happening. Performing miracles, speaking truths with amazement. I really made a good decision. And so as Jesus spots a crowd making their way over to him, he offers a question because he sees something that maybe not even the people in the crowd were able to see in that moment. Because as much as they were excited and caught up in the fervor of the moment, Jesus performing miracles, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the prophet that was to come? In all of their excitement, they forgot to pay attention to their stomachs. And here they were in a secluded place with nothing to feed their hunger. And probably before they can even identify it, Jesus sees this very natural and common need that they, that they have. Now, uh, over the last month and a half, probably month, I've been trying something new. I've been trying this thing called intermittent fasting. Have you guys done this or heard about this? So basically, you prevent yourself from eating only in a, a certain window of time so that your body can actually rest from digesting all the time if you're just feeding your face constantly like I normally do. 
And, uh, you know, my energy levels have been up. Sex has been kind of good for me. You know, um, you know it's, it's different for everybody. So, you know, don't necessarily take my word for it. But for me, it's, you know, it, it's worked out. And one of the things that's been interesting is that because I feel hunger more, I'm actually paying more attention to my body signaling to my brain, um, you know, different things. You know, am I hungry or is this food not agreeing with me and all those different things. And it's helped me more to kind of have a little bit more clarity as to what is actually good for me in terms of food and, and what might be more destructive but just tastes good, sort of satisf- satisfies a, a want or just, you know, something that is, that is uh, tasty. And, and in the midst of... You know, it signals and shows to me that in the past, I had such a terrible, I did such a terrible job realizing the difference between, hey, this is just a tasty snack, and oh, I actually feel hunger for my own sustenance. See, Jesus, these people didn't understand their own hunger. They didn't realize what was happening, and Jesus is the one that saw it before they were even able to see it. In the midst, even if we struggle in identifying our needs, the things that we, we truly need in life, God is the one that sees it even more than we see it ourselves. God knows our needs even before we are able to identify our needs. And this is true with our physical needs, our material needs, our relational needs, all these different needs that we might have in life, but especially, especially, It pertains to our spiritual needs as well. Jesus sees our spiritual hunger even before we know what we need ourselves. John, the way he does this, he has a constant interplay between the physical or material world and what is the reality of the spirit. Case in point, we re- have this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And as much as it is a supernatural encounter of God's power for those people, it serves the feeding, their physical feeding, or the, their physical hunger, and God satisfying that signals something even deeper on, on a spiritual level. And we read this in the, at, towards the end of chapter 6 where Jesus now declares, I am the bread of life. You can see how John is putting this all together to show people and to reveal the gospel to his audience in that day. At some point, in order to allow God to do the work that God wants to do in our lives, we have to come to terms with our neediness. We have to come to to, to reality of of our powerlessness. We have to be confronted with the fact that we cannot be the solution to our own problems and our needs. And despite our inability to differentiate between what is a need and what is a want, the task for us is to come to that place to say, I am needy, just like the hungry crowd. But there's another 
human reality that's revealed to us. And it, it comes to us through the, what happens next in this story. Because as Jesus identifies the need of the crowd, he uses this as a teaching opportunity. And this is where you can learn from Jesus' leadership style. I think it's so great. Whereas previously the disciples at the woman at the well that Pastor Steve talked about last week, at the woman at the well, the disciples were only able to watch what Jesus did and, and the ministry and, and sort of what Jesus was all about. But this time, he invites the disciples to participate in the miracle and the ministry that he was about to, to, to do. And so he, uh, he, instead of addressing the crowd immediately, he addresses Philip. He said, Philip, so when are you gonna buy bread for all of these people? And Philip, being a disciple, is a little nervous at this point because he is a, a disciple and he has to show uh, reverence and respect to his, his rabbi in, in Jesus and he certainly doesn't want to openly confront or argue with Jesus. But yet at the same time, he doesn't know what to do because Jesus has just asked a very ridiculous question. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean feed? I mean, there's like more than 5,000 people Nobody has that kind of money. It doesn't take a half year's wage to pay for all of the bread just for these folks to have a bite to eat. And then comes Andrew. Andrew is another disciple and he's kind of listening in on this and he takes a quick inventory of what they might have and knowing this story, if you grew up learning this story about what Jesus does with this five loaves and two fishes, that's why fishes, I usually say fishes because that's what I did when I was little five loaves and two fishes. We know what Jesus is about to do with that. And so you think, oh, Andrew's being a part of the solution. Andrew's saying, oh, look, Jesus, you can present, look, here's five loaves, two fish, but that's okay. I know that you can do that. No. Andrew is siding with Philip in this scenario. He's showing how much little they have to reveal the ridiculousness of Jesus' request. We're not going to be able to feed these people. Look, all we have is this little morsel of food. Give it up. Let them go. Let them go to the town and, and buy something so that they can be fed. We need to come to terms with our powerlessness and our lack of, of, of management and our deep need for God's intervention in our lives, but also also to understand our inability to satisfy ourselves. Our inability to satisfy ourselves. If you're like me, you might come to terms with all of that, but only as a last resort. You might turn to God in full dependence, in faithful prayer, anticipation that God might do something, but only after you've tried everything. Only after you've exhausted your resources. Only after you, out of your own cleverness and ingenuity, have mapped out what you can do to solve your own problems. And then, when that falls through, the safety net is, well, you know, I'm going to turn to Lord in prayer, in full dependence, I do this all the time. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, okay? This happens to me all the time. Because just like the disciples, I, I, I don't come to that place of full dependence until it is absolutely necessary. And what John is sharing to us in this moment 
is that we need to be okay with our neediness. We need to be okay with our powerlessness, which includes not even knowing what we need, and then even if we knew what we need, knowing that we have an inability to satisfy. An ancient, uh, later medieval theologian and author, Thomas Akempis, he says it this way. He says, the, the acknowledgement of our weakness is the first step, the first step in repairing our loss. And so if we divert ourselves from coming to that place, we're also prolonging the activity and the intervention of God in our lives. The first step is acknowledgement of our weakness. And so Jesus now begins the miracle. He takes the five barley loaves. By the way, barley loaves would signal to people in the first century that was a poor person's food. He takes the five barley loaves. He breaks it, gives thanks, and that give thanks in the, in the Greek is eucharistio, which is the word we get for the Last Supper, a sharing in the, the Lord's meal. He gives thanks, and he orders the, the disciples to begin passing it out and distribute it to all of the people. Only 5,000 men. There were women and children there, no doubt. And everyone says, everyone was satisfied. Everyone had their needs met in that moment. It's easy to say, but it's harder to believe and even harder to live out. Jesus gives us enough. In Jesus, yeah, despite what you're going through, despite your needs, Jesus is enough. Now, if I'm part of the crowd, I'm kind of wondering how many certain, some people would have partake, you know, would have eaten a little bit more than the, than the rest. And that doesn't seem to be a concern here. Were they stuffed? I don't know. They might have been stuffed. I don't know. But it just says that they were satisfied. They were given enough. Uh, in our group on Wednesday night, something I reminded as we study the Bible together, something I reminded is that when we approach the scriptures, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that it's gonna answer all the questions of the universe that we ever had. Like, you know, the acronym that's not really helpful, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, and we think, oh, this is gonna be a manual that's gonna help me navigate my life so that, you know, everything would be better. And that's not what it does. It doesn't answer everything, it answers enough. It doesn't speak to what is everything, it speaks to what we truly need to hear. The story of our creation, our human condition, God's redemption in Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of his kingdom here on this earth. That is all we need. Are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied? Can you say that that we have enough in Jesus? He declares in, we read in John 10, 10, Jesus says, you know, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. They might have life and life in its fullest sense. Are you satisfied? I know what the churchy answer to that question is. Yeah, Praise Jesus, I have everything in him. But if you're like me, you might 
qualify those statements with a bunch of yeah buts. Yeah, but, don't you know that I'm going through this? Yeah, but, I really wish I could have this. Yeah, but, I don't have enough time. Yeah, but, God, can you just do a little bit more? And we qualify those, those statements. And when we exercise our yeah buts, we forget, it, it, it conceals what God might be doing for us and through us in the moment. If we constantly are saying, yeah, but, then we oftentimes are so consumed with what's wrong, we fail to see what God and his goodness is doing right here and right now. If we're in the midst of our yeah buts, we might be consumed with what we don't have, what we lack, what other people have but we don't have, but we think we deserve what they have. And we fail to see what God has truly given us right here and right now. When we're in the midst of our yeah buts, sometimes we fill ourselves with things that aren't even true. Things that we worry about, we're fearful about, but they haven't happened, but they could, so we're fearful of them. And we fail to see what is true and what God is doing right here and right now. If we find ourselves in the midst of our yeah buts, could we also be saying without intention that Jesus is not enough? Jesus took five loaves and two fish. It was what they had and performed his miracle through it. He took what they had. Sure, it wasn't enough. Sure, it was extremely lacking. But he didn't need all of that. He took what we have, and as it was presented to him, he took it and performed his miracle so that all we're satisfied. You know, I, I struggle with this. I, I'm not the kind of person that's, you know, I'm always looking for more. You know, what's the next step? I'm always looking ahead and I just, I, I, I struggle sometimes celebrating wins or just being present in the moment with my loved ones and, and being present with God. Sometimes I get a little too antsy, you know, what, what's next? And so I had, I had to really think hard. What does a satisfied person really look like? And what, I'm just thinking about other people in my life. They strike me as a satisfied person. So I came up with three kind of attributes that I, I think are satisfied. It's not me, but I, it's other people that I, I see in them. That's, man, I just, I want to have that same level of contentedness and presence and satisfaction in the Lord. The first one I came up with was, a satisfied person definitely has a better handle on their wants and their needs. They're more, more clear about what they need to do or need to have or need to be rather than their, their wants. Combing through this reminded me of the famous Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the response? I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not have a want. Another one, a satisfied person, in my mind, lives on less. A satisfied person lives on less. 
if they're able to discern what is a need and what is a want, they are able to live on less because they know exactly, they more, or at least more clearly, what they need. And they're able to say no more often, quite frankly. They don't need all of these other things, so they can just say no. They don't need that extra attention, so they don't say yes or become a people pleaser. They, they, they don't need all of these flourishes and luxuries to satisfy some, some void in, in their heart because they have this, this deeper sense that they have all that they need already. This is the witness of the early Quakers, which our church comes from, that one of the virtues that they practiced was simplicity. And this virtue of simplicity, you could see it actually being lived out in tangible ways, like the way that they dressed. They wore plain clothes. They didn't, uh, they didn't rest on flourishes of speech either. They just kind of kept it straight and narrow. And, and everything that they did was simple as a, as a witness to say, yeah, but we don't need any of that because we, we, we have everything that we need. Um, so, one of the fav- my favorite things about this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is this next part that's left over. It's that afterwards, Jesus says to the disciples, go and pick up the leftovers um, because they shouldn't be wasted. And they go and they pick up 12 basketfuls of, of leftover bread. Now, on one hand, that's really interesting because of the number 12, and you see the number 12 all throughout the Bible, and it can mean a a couple different things, but when some of these special numbers come up, the the author is intending to use them as a layered meaning, and so what we find throughout Scripture is that whenever 12 is used, it's indicating a faithful remnant of of God's people. So we have 12 tribes of Israel, right? Jesus chose 12 disciples, and here we have 12 baskets of leftover bread. What possibly could that mean? And that leads me to the third, is that a satisfied person has more to give. A satisfied person has more to give. They have more leftovers to extend to the rest. The 12 baskets left over. Think about this. This lost and hungry crowd approaches Jesus. Jesus ministers to him in supernatural ways and through that ministry of Jesus, through that shepherding, they are full. They are satisfied. But out of that is the faithful remnant that is meant to be distributed to the world, I, I was, I, and I discovered this because, you know, I like to eat, and I like to eat leftovers. Nothing gets wasted in my home, and I suddenly questioned, you know, I've read this story so many times, and I started to question, hey, what happened to leftovers? You know, Jesus said that they were, you know, that they shouldn't be wasted. What, you know, what, what happened to these, to these leftovers? Where did they go? Who, who ate them? Who were they distributed to? And what John is doing in this story is to say, is to leave us hanging directly to, to, to ask that question. Exactly to ask that question. Who is this meant for beyond this crowd? It is the faithful group of people that are to feed the world around them. I remember my college apartment refrigerator and it was risky business to bring home any leftovers. 
right? Even you could put your name on it. That guaranteed nothing. <laughs> because someone might take it. So a lot of us, you know, we just sort of hoard our food. We just make sure we eat it all. I'm not taking leftovers home. These guys are going to eat it all. I'm not going to even have it the, the, the next day. Eating all the leftovers. Remember, there's a, an interplay between physical and spiritual. How many of us has found us to be fat, spiritual consumers? That when we consider what God is doing in the world, when we consider what God is doing um, beyond the walls of this church, what God is doing in our neighborhoods and in our cities and in the, in the world and faraway places, when we consider what God is doing in all of those places, how many times have we intentionally ignored that or cast that all aside because when we think about God's activity in the world, all we can be consumed with was what's going on here. What's happening in me? What leftovers am I going to feed on the next day? And Jesus is saying, this was meant for you to take it to the world, to feed a hungry world. You know, what's interesting. This issue came up actually in the early church. Paul has to address the church in Corinth in chapter 11. Because in that day, you know, the, the upper crust of society, the people, the higher class, they didn't have to work as much as the, as the regular folks. And so they would get together for their communion and they had a love feast around communion. So they have communion and have a whole meal out of it. And they'd gather together when their work was done, which was in the afternoon. And they just started out, hey, let's have a little church here. And they started eating the communion, started eating the love feast, doing all that. And then the working folks would come later in the day after a hard day's work and they get there and all the communion was gone. All the food had been eaten. Can you imagine if that happens to you tonight at your Super Bowl party? Could you imagine that you're ready to head out the door but then your daughter needs a diaper change at the last minute. I'm speaking out of my own story here. Daughter needs a, a diaper change at the last minute so it it, you know, it sets you back and you got to drive to your friend's house for, for the party and then you're driving there and you don't want to necessarily get a spoiler but you want you know, you, you, you're wondering what's going on with the game and, and all those things and you're tired and the kids are screaming because they're hungry and all of those different things, the chaos in the moment and you get to your friend's house and all the food is gone. Can you imagine? You can feel the violation of that moment. And that's exactly how those early church believers felt. And it's exactly what John is signaling to us today. The leftovers are not meant for us to constantly consume the spiritual goods and services of the church and what God is doing in our midst. No, God is doing that work within us to satisfy our true needs so that when there's more left over, we can take it to the world that is hungry, hungry for him. If we could just see what Jesus sees. It was Jesus that looked far off and saw the hunger of the crowd. If we could just see that more, I believe we would be a people of God less focused on ourselves, less focused on being spiritual consumers of goods and services, 
and more prepared to take what God has done in us and give it to the hungry. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this time where we can learn from you. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Convict us where we need convicting. Challenge us where we need challenged. And help us to be your people. Full and satisfied with you. And then commissioned to share with the world. May we be your faithful people in all ways. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we close, would you stand and sing with us? Praise God for all he's given us. Let's sing out of thanksgiving. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger.
Jesus is enough for you. Go and be satisfied and filled and take, don't forget to take the leftovers to all those around you. Go in the power of his name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.